like, and subscribe. Hello and welcome, One Percenters, to The One, the unofficial podcast of The One Fighting Championship, Episode 7. And when I say I'm just as shocked as you are, I really mean it. Now, I'm used to fans of this show saying it sounds terrible, but it's especially true for this episode, and that's because I'm sick. I have some kind of cold or something. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure you could hear it in my voice, and uh, it's really hard to talk right now. So that's something right there. And then on top of it, you know, I realize this episode is about a week late, over a week late at this point for some of the content, you know. I'm supposed to be covering, let's see here, Amanda Nunez versus Irene Aldana. That would be UFC 289. That happened, uh, I don't know, seven days ago. One Friday night, uh, one Friday fight. That was eight days ago. No, no, just seven. I'm okay. And then one fight night 11. That was also seven days ago. So, you're probably saying to yourself, like, what's the point of even recording this? Like, why are you even doing this? Why are you giving up your free time? Well, there's there's a couple reasons to that. First of all, I put a lot of work into this, you know, like I uh, watched all these episodes, 31 fights in total I took notes on. And, uh, you know, I uh, got a lot of good info and good thoughts and commentary that I want to share with the world. You know, that's why you're here, because I'm the single greatest mind in all of MMA. And you want to hear what I have to say about this. The other thing is practice. You know, I want to get practice. Um, I know the show is uh, what people might call not good, but that's only because they don't appreciate uh, talent. That's all. So I'm just going to keep doing episodes until uh, until all the plebes out there enjoy this. But the main thing is I enjoy doing it. You know, I, I, I don't dislike this, even though it's a lot of work. And speaking of work, the reason I've been so busy, the reason I haven't got out episodes is because uh, I started a new job uh, last on Monday, started a new job on Monday. And even before that, the weekend when all these fights were going down, I was actually, I was actually in uh, Tacoma, Washington. Yeah, I'm from Tacoma, Washington. Well, I'm from Chicago, but I moved from Tacoma, Washington. Thank God I'm not from Tacoma, Washington. I mean, you know, you talk about places that make Detroit and Baltimore look nice. Another place I've also lived, Baltimore. But yeah, I uh, I moved I moved to uh, Washington four years ago for my partner's work. And, uh, I decided to go back to school. So I'm, I'm 38 now. A lot of people don't realize that because I look so young and youthful and handsome, but I'm 38 and I just recently graduated in, in, in the winter or in the fall rather, and just had my graduation ceremony. So we went to, we went to, uh, Tacoma, Washington to go to my graduation ceremony at the Tacoma dome. And, uh, and uh, for the University of Washington Tacoma, I got my diploma. And I know that's probably shocking for a lot of people because you, you, you're probably saying to yourself, well, Dave, most of your fans don't even have a high school diploma and you have a college diploma. But yeah, I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. I, uh, I have a business degree uh, from the University of Washington Milgard School of Business. Now, is that a school that's named after a window company? Yes, but it's still a four-year uh, diploma. So Put some respect on my name. 
And that's actually a big accomplishment for me, you know, all, all the all the little uh, satire aside, you know, it's like uh, I'm the first one in my family to graduate uh, from a four year university. And, you know, I some of the listeners may know this, some may not. But when I was in my early 20s, I was, uh, you know, involved in a lot of crime and I was charged with a pretty serious drug felony in my early 20s. And, you know, to go from being someone who was, uh, you know, in prison to being someone with a, a four-year college degree. It's a pretty big accomplishment. I'm pretty proud of it. So go ahead and hate on, hate on that in the comments. It's what you people like to do anyway. So I, I, I enjoy it. So go for it. Um, you can talk about like how I'm a degenerate drug dealer, really enjoy that stuff. Uh, another thing you can make fun of me for is it's pride month. Hey, so I got my pride flags up. Uh, cause you know, MMA fans are known as like, uh, just so progressive and they're just so open-minded. Um, they just love the gay community. So I figured, you know, since, uh, since, uh, you know, MMA fans are so behind, uh, the gay community, I would, uh, you know, uh, put up these flags in celebration, you know, shout out to, uh, well, we lost the, the, the greatest gay fighter of all time to this point, right? The, the greatest gay athlete, you know, Amanda Nunez retired spoilers. This was a week ago, you know, first ever gay UFC champion. Got to say in the gay department, the women are holding it down way better than the men. Don't get me wrong. I think there's, there's a, uh, there's a couple of uh, gay boys in the UFC. They're just uh, playing a little close to the vest. And of course, you know, um, you know, Israel Adesanya is pan, you know, he's pansexual like myself. That goes without saying. We all know that, you know, that's news that was covered a long time ago. But I wonder when we'll have like a uh, like a gay male champion, a guy who's like, yep, this is my boyfriend. He helps me train and I just knock dudes out and then I go home and cuddle. So hopefully soon. Happy Pride Month, everyone. Especially shout out to my fellow uh, pansexuals out there. This episode's for you. So, yeah, I had a lot going on. I had the graduation. I was traveling basically all day Sunday. I was either in an airport or on a plane. Did get to watch some of the fights while I was on the plane. That's pretty cool. If you're a uh, YouTube subscriber, you could download one fights, like one, um, one Friday fights. So that was uh, very beneficial. That's something you cannot do with ESPN. And you cannot do with Prime Video for the one fight. So... Shout out YouTube. I'll get that in before they like demonetize me for something and I'm telling them how terrible they are. All right. So I think I went over that. I graduated. I traveled. I'm sick. I started a new, oh, the new job. Yes. I started a new job. Uh, I graduated, as I said, back in December. I had a death in my immediate family. I decided to take some time off. This is my first job back. It's my first real job after college. So that's pretty exciting. I'll just leave it at this. I don't want to give you, uh, you mutants, too many details. I don't want any of you showing up at my work or uh, calling my work and telling them to fire me because the podcast isn't very good or something. You know, you didn't like the Brock Lesnar story. You should fire me. I'll just say this. I got my degree in business. I'm working in the field that uh, my business degree relates to. So that's great news for me. I mean, it's it's good news. 
I'll say it's good news that I got this new job that I'm starting. I'm doing training this this week. It's very busy. I've had a hard time getting in time to record. And, you know, this is all avoidable. It's all avoidable. I don't have to be working a job. You know, I could I could just be monetized as the greatest MMA mind in the world. Definitely the greatest one on YouTube. All it would take is you people to grab your mouse, click on that like button, click on that subscribe button, and tell your degenerate friends, hey, you know how you just got out of prison? Well, here's a podcast by a guy that got out of prison before and now he has a college degree. You should listen to it. It's great. Or better yet, if you hate the podcast, go, oh, this is the guy that spouts nothing but fake news. I hate him so much. Watch his videos and give him a thumbs down. They, they all help. Either way, one way or another, just do one of those two things. The, the, the third option is do nothing and don't help me become rich and famous. That's not an option. If you do that, you're stealing from me and I'm going to call the FBI on you. You know, eventually someday I'll get enough subscribers that I won't have to work. And then I can de dedicate full time to making these terrible podcasts and these horrible videos that you that you hate. Sound good? I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. I like it. I know you like it because y'all are simple and I know what you're thinking. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, I think the last order of housekeeping we have to handle is the, um, is the cider of the episode. Now, I do have to say, me and my partner were celebrating something. So this, I do have a cider of the episode, but I should preface it by saying there was also like uh, several whiskeys of the episodes earlier in the day, but sure, it'll be fine. I think my... Uh, I think I'll be razor sharp this episode. I don't think anybody has anything to worry about. Anyways, uh, this is going to be a woodchuck hard cider. We're back to cider, so obviously keto didn't work out. Uh, it's a blueberry. It says splash of blueberry. Oh, and woodchuck hard cider was established in 1991. Let's see where this, this stuff comes from. Hmm. Vermont. Sounds about right. Once known as summertime, this crisp apple cider is topped off with a splash of blueberry juice to keep you refreshed all year long. Well, that's good, because I need some refreshment. My throat is parched. It's not because it's Pride Week. <laughs> See, I did it before people in the comments could, whatever. 5% uh, alcohol by volume, and I'll guess you... You don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Here we go. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. Okay, I'm back. So, last bit of housekeeping here. I just want to do a rundown. As I've explained to you people, it's it's going on uh, 11 p.m. West Coast time on Friday the 16th. So, this is like almost a full week after some of these fights have happened. I'm going to put them out because I want to do it. And, uh, you know, the main person I do this for is me. But uh, if you are watching, if you are listening to this, you know, relatively close to the time the events took place, just know I'm covering the UFC event tonight. That's UFC 289, Nunez versus Aldana. I got some uh, breakdowns for that before it gets to be too late. And then I have some news I'm breaking at the end of the episode. So make sure you stick around to the end of the episode. There's some very important news. It concerns one Ronda Rousey, concerns one Brock Lesnar, concerns one Francis Ngannou. 
stick around to the end of the episode or fast forward to the end of the episode, or just give me the thumbs down now and close off your browser and uh, jump out your window at home. I don't care what you do. So that's going to be tonight. I'm going to edit it and have it hopefully out for you Saturday, the 17th, the morning of the 17th. So I'll cover all that in depth and go over some news with you. And then I will cover the one stuff. So right now, as we speak, there's already a newer one episode out, but it's it's Friday Fights. Friday Fights 21 is out. So I'm going to cover the Friday Fights from before that. And then I'm going to cover the Fight Night 11, uh, Rehi and Ursul versus Menchikov. I'm going to do that tomorrow and have it out for you tomorrow night. So you're getting tomorrow, you're getting two episodes covering three events. You lucky little squealing pigs. And then hopefully by Tuesday, we'll have an episode out covering the uh, one Friday Fights 22. We're going to cover the upcoming Friday Fights uh, that features the heavyweight title fight with with Arjun Bowler. And then we're also going to cover UFC Vegas. And we might even touch on PFL and Bellator. PFL and Bellator both have fights going on this weekend. Who's fighting in that? Nobody knows. Just check out my MMA ad read for Bellator if you want to know why nobody knows. Anyways, that's a long rambling uh, phrase, but I just wanted to let you know where we're at. If you stuck around this far, I would say thank you because let's be honest, this episode's a wreck. It's late at night. I've uh, been had, you know, I'm not saying that my analysis is not razor sharp. I'm just saying I might have had a few drinks. I'm sick. I was traveling. I'm starting a new job. I did drugs for the first like 30 years of my life. I think those are the only things. Oh, yeah. And check me out on socials, too. I got really good socials. And uh, if you're not watching me or just listening on Spotify, you really should be watching. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens. But, you know, do that, too. Like, subscribe, ring the bell, five-star review. I know I haven't earned it this episode, but previous episodes have been excellent. Just take my word for it. Five-star review. This is the best podcast you've ever listened to. Let's grow this thing. You know, I like to make fun of my fans and, and say that they're degenerates and that they're criminals and that they just got out of prison and that most of them don't know how to use a computer and they just typed in the word podcast and this podcast came up and that's how they found it. And, uh, you know, they don't have enough. They don't have this, the $12 to afford uh, Spotify or YouTube Unlimited uh, because they they owe their uh, ex-wife so much alimony. You know, I say all those things. Anyways, well, I would appreciate all my fans to, to do that for me, to do all those things I ask them. Um, it would be really great. All right, so let's get into these fights. I know you're tired of hearing me blather on. We're at 16 minutes. Wow, you just gave up 16 minutes of your life to hear that. All right. UFC 289, Nunez versus Aldana. So a couple of things about this. My very first prediction you know, weeks ago was that Aldana was going to win the title. You know, I'm recording this episode a week, like almost seven days late. So if you don't know that already, if I have to say spoilers, you need to get your life in order. So obviously that didn't happen. I called that one wrong, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. The other insight I provided was that, you know, this card is not the deepest card ever. 
And you had the potential to, uh, you know, have one of the worst fights of the year. But I also said, you know, these cards can surprise you. Um, they could be good when you think they're going to be bad. Just because you don't know the names doesn't mean that the fighters can't uh, deliver exciting fights. Sometimes fighters that don't typically deliver exciting fights do. Sometimes, you know, you're seeing a debuting fighter who's going to go on to do great things. And sometimes fights are just better than you expect them to be based on the fight card. But this was not that. This fight delivered about as much as people expected. There was a couple good fights. The fights that people thought were going to be exciting were exciting. The, fight, the fights that people thought were going to be dull were pretty dull. There's a lot of decisions in between. I mean, I watched it. I have to admit, you know, as I said, there was uh, 33 fights to break down this weekend between one and the UFC. And, uh, you know, towards the end of this card, this was the last one I watched. I was getting some straight fighter fatigue. You know, I was fast forwarding through episodes. And that's not me. You know, that's the product, you know. And that's not to say that some of the one fights weren't weren't a problem as well. I'll talk about that when I get to those. But we're talking about the UFC right now. And then on top of that, I'm trying to do all this while I'm, like, buzzed off of wine coolers and cheap whiskey. So it's tough being me. Anyways, this card didn't didn't knock anybody's hair back, but you know there were some things worth mentioning. There were some fights that are really worth talking about. There's some fighters on this card that uh, deserve to be mentioned. It's not their fault that they were put on a boring card. It's not their fault that the matchmakers at the UFC mismanaged this card and didn't didn't uh, put the appropriate card together. And you know a lot of a lot of. Uh, uh, media is not going to give these guys their due. They're just going to say this is a boring fight card on to the next one. Who's who's fighting next weekend? But I want to make sure these guys get their shine and these women because there's some women that uh, had important fights here. There's not going to be a lot. This is probably going to be a shorter episode by my standards, maybe an hour. But uh, let's get into this. Let's see who uh, who's worth mentioning because there were some excellent fights on here and some exciting finishes and some Maybe if they weren't exciting finishes, noteworthy things that happened during this card. So I'll just start it off by saying, you know, UFC 289, Nunez versus Aldana. This fight did not start out great. Uh, four decisions in a row. And it wasn't like barn burner decisions that like people really need to discuss. There were just like four decisions that you watch them and you're ready to move on with your life. So I'm not going to go super far in depth with some of these fights, you know, especially because some of the fights that ended in a knockout or submission didn't even really have a lot of action in them. You know, like they had an exciting finish or maybe they just had a submission or a finish and then the stuff leading up to it was very uneventful. So it has to be more than that in my book to 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 make it on this list, unfortunately, so or fortunately for you. So there were some fights to note, though. Uh, Amin Zahabi and Arichi Long, you know. Arichi Long was one of these hot prospects from uh, uh, Mongolia that, you know, we, we thought we might, the same way we had Dagestani fighters taking over, we might have Mongolian fighters taking over. Arichi Long was one of those. And, uh, you know, he faced Amin Zahabi, who, you know, his biggest claim to fame is his brother. His brother is uh, Faraz you know, GSP's coach. So obviously he's got some great coaching. He's down there at uh, TriStar. Basically, all you need to know about this con uh, con 
contest is that Amin Zahabi gets the CTE-inducing left hook on Aubrey Chilong in the first minute of the fight. First minute of the fight. And after four decisions, let me tell you, I was ready for a first-round finish. In the first minute, no less. Look out now. The long-promised younger, but not young. He's 36. Younger brother of Faraz Sahabi is finally putting together an impressive winning streak. After that, the uh, next fight of note would probably be Nasruddin Imavov versus Chris Curtis. You know, I love me some action man Chris Curtis, and I'm very well aware of what Nasruddin Imavov is, Imavov is capable of. You know, this is a guy that uh, could be uh, a top five contender someday. We could see this guy fight for a title someday. You know, not this year, but someday. You know, and Chris Curtis is like such a uh, such a cool fighter. He's holding it down for us old guys. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that didn't even get his UFC debut until he was in his 30s. And he's got some really cool wins and some great fights. And, uh, you know, he's coming off a tough decision loss before this. And, you know, I'm a big Chris Curtis fan. And I feel for him the way this one went down. So, you know, you got to feel for the man, you know, a fighter I truly admire. But Nasruddin Mavov. Is a fighter who's going to do great things in the UFC, as I said. You know, if only he was Canadian, that'd be so perfect. If only he was Canadian instead of Dagestan by French by way of Dagestan, you know, his star would be so much brighter. You know, and for Curtis to have this fight stopped due to a clash of heads, especially after losing a close fight of the night decision to Calvin Gaslam, it's just crushing for him. You know, and he wanted to keep going. Some fighters act like they want to keep the fight going after a foul, but they're actually looking for a way out. Chris Curtis was literally begging to not stop the fight. But, you know, North America's MMA rules don't always make sense and doesn't seem like anybody is going to do anything about it. So here we are. That being said, the Clash of Heads actually saved Chris Curtis from Nasruddin Imavov. You know, Curtis was most likely going to be stopped in the final round. But still, it's a disappointing outcome. You know, this was the feature fight of the prelims. And for it to end this way, kind of capped off not a great, you know, not a great night of prelims to start a card that didn't have a lot of fanfare. So it's unfortunate. So, you know, getting into the main card, main card fared a little better. All the fights weren't great, but some of them were worth mentioning, you know. And, uh, you know, if I could be a decision and still be good, I don't want people to think that I don't like decisions. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of technical grappling and technical wrestling and, and, and close fights that go to a decision. It's just not what most people are clicking on YouTube to see top 10 competitive grappling matches. You know, people want to see finishes. I'm with you. I want to see finishes, you know, in a lot of ways, even though I've been watching this sport for 15 plus years. I'm a noob in that regard. I want to see the finish. You know, we didn't see it with Nate Landwehr and Dan Ige. And if you would have told me that Nate Landwehr and Dan Ige was going to decision, I would have called you a liar. But sometimes that's how it goes at the very top level competition. You know, Nate Landwehr, big fan, as I like to call him, learning disability Nick Diaz. You know, he has the fifth highest significant strike differential in UFC featherweight history. 
Let me ring off a couple names for you in regards to that fifth highest significant strike differential in UFC featherweight history. I'm going to give you some names and you tell me if you recognize any of them. Jose Aldo. Max Holloway. Alexander Volkanovsky. Those are all fighters in the feather, featherweight division. How about this guy, Dan Ige? Ever heard of him? And out of all those fighters, learning disability Nick Diaz is number five. Nate Lamware looks to part two. You wouldn't be surprised if you walked in the post office in Clarksville, Tennessee, and old Nate Landwehr's photo was on a wanted poster for sex crimes. But in his defense, Nate Landwehr is not the kind of guy who holds you down when he has his way with you. No, no, no. Learning disability Nick Diaz can knock you out on the feet. He doesn't need to hold you down. That's the beauty of this guy. And he has been doing exactly that. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Landwehr is on a three-fight winning streak, and in his last three fights, he earned three 50K bonuses. That used to be Ige's MO. We call him Dan 50K Ige. That hasn't been happening as much lately. And, you know, that's because Dan Ige has had a rough go over these last couple years, and Nate Landwehr is kind of the new guy. He wants to be Nate the 50K train land where. And you got to think Dan Ige knew that. I mean, he he knew they were trying to put him in there to build Nate Landwehr at his expense. You know, he, he knew the matchmakers said, hey, Landwehr crushes Ige, and he's the new 50K guy. And I think at some point in preparation for this fight, Dan Ige said, that's not going to happen today, my friends. You know, Ige got the decision in a fairly one-sided battle against the young upstart after nearly finishing Landwehr with decapitating blows several times in the first and second round. And I think in this fight, he showed the matchmakers and everyone else in the world. He's not quite done yet. He might even have a couple 50Ks left in him. Good job, Dan Ige. Way to do it for the old guys. Cruising right along to the co-co main event, Mike Malott versus Adam Fugit. Don't got a ton to say about this fight. You know, up to this point, the uh, the Canadians were 5-0. and And uh, Mike Malott, he's on a three-fight win streak in the UFC at the time of this fight. And he got the second-round guillotine against Adam Fugit. So that brings the score up for the Canadians to 6-0. and Great for the Canadians. And I'll just say this, you know, I, I'm not doubting that Mike Malott is a talented fighter. He is a talented fighter. Um, I've listened to interviews with him. He seems like a really sharp and analytical dude. I'm sure he's going to go on to do great things in here in the UFC. But Adam Fugit is ranked 68th out of 70 active UFC welterweights. Mike Malott is ranked 17 rankings higher than him. And he's the, the first guy in the rankings to have three active win streaks. That means everybody below him has a loss in the last three fights. He's the only one. So he should actually probably be higher. So that's like Alexander Volkanovsky fighting for the title against a guy who's not even in the top 15. You know, you notice when they had a late replacement for um, the flyweight fight, they 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 brought in... Uh, you know, a really competent fighter in Steven Ursek. 
Steven Ursag wasn't a late replacement for the a Canadian fighter, you know. Nasruddin Imavov wasn't fighting a Canadian. Should a guy who's ranked 53 be fighting a guy who's barely in the top 70 of the welterweight division in the UFC? I don't think so. So if you want me to get excited about Mike Mallott, and I get it, Canada's important. We need a Canadian star. I understand where that's coming from. We do need a Canadian star. But if you want me to get behind Mike Mallott, two things have to happen. He's got to beat some better dudes, and he's got to do a hell of a lot better on the mic. And, you know, that really, what it really comes down to is that it's not that I dislike Mike Mallott, although I, I've, I felt like he was hand-fed a guy who, you know, isn't even in the same class. I mean, he knows it. We know it. The media knows it. You know, just only people that don't know it are the casual fans. But I honestly think that next big star, the next GSP, you know, that's what everybody's looking for. The next GSP, that next guy to do 55,000 cells at the Rogers Arena. He's not in the UFC yet. There is a fighter in Canada that's going to be a big star, but I don't think he's in the UFC yet. I don't think we found him. I, I look at the guys we have. There's only, out of all these guys, there's only like one or two guys that have that it factor, and that's Charles Jordan and maybe like Hakeem Dawadu. But I don't think those guys got the skill set to be the next big star of Canada. So as much as the UFC wants Mike Mallott to be the guy, I do not think he's that guy. And I don't think any amount of having him crush tomato cans is going to make him that guy. You know, the fans just know better. Or if they don't know better, at the very least, they have, they quickly forget. You know, and that performance, even though it was impressive, is going to be wiped from 95% of North American MMA fans in five, six weeks at the most. So it was a good performance, but. I don't think it accomplished anything close to what the UFC was hoping. Now, something that did accomplish what the UFC was hoping, basically the thing that saved this fight card was the fight between Benil Darius and Charles Oliveira. And I'll keep this short. You know, I'm going to do three episodes this weekend. I don't want to go too crazy in depth. But, uh, you know, there's levels to this game. You've heard me say that before. I'm actually the person who invented that phrase and I copyrighted it. So if you use it, I'm going to call the FBI on you and get you sent to prison. Like and subscribe. But I'll say this. There's levels to this game. And Benil Dariush, for his impressive win streak, is not on Charles Dubronx Oliveira's level. He's not. These guys could fight a hundred times. And Oliver would probably win close to every time, if not every time. You know, and Dariush, Dariush is on an eight-fight winning streak. He's the number four fighter in what is still probably the toughest division in North American MMA. And he's not on Charles Dubronx Oliver's level. So if Benil Dariush is not on Charles Oliver's level, how good is Islam Makachev? That's the question. So I dug into this, and I, I have some opinions, you know, as usual. Let's take a look at this record here of Benil Dariush. Yeah, everybody talks about the eight-fight win streak. That's very impressive. It's hard to do anywhere, especially in the UFC. But let's read off a couple names. 
Tiago Moises, Drew Dober, Frank Camacho, Jakar Close, Scott Holtzman, Carlos Diego Fajeda, Tony Ferguson, Mateos Gamrot. How many UFC champions in that list? I count one, an interim champion, Tony Ferguson, who's well past his prime. Drew Dober's good win. That was in 2019. Half of these guys aren't active in the UFC anymore. And you know, you 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 can't you can't get mad at you can't get mad at him for having that record because there's another guy who benefited from padding his record in this way, getting this experience, getting this confidence. And that's Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira has a uh, lot of accomplishments in the UFC. But a lot of that comes from uh, he must have good management because he got a lot of good fights. Leading up to his title fight, here's who he fought. He came off two two losses, Anthony Pettis and Ricardo Lamas. No shame in that. Beat Will Brooks. Lost to Paul Falder. And then he went on a streak. Clay Guida, Christos Giagios, Jim Milder, David Timor, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon, Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson. That's a good streak. Not a ton of champions in there. I count I count one interim champion. Very similar. Very similar to Benil Dariush. Now, eventually, Oliveira did go on to beat Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, and then lose to Islam Makashev. I'm just making this point. Benil Dariush was favorited by a lot of people in this fight, but he should not be the favorite. Yes, an eight-fight win streak is impressive. But the names at the top of the five, at the 155 pound division are monsters. And if you're going to fight for the title or contest for the title, you better be ready for it. So that brings me back to the question How good is Islam Makachev? Well, with all that being said, I think we saw tonight that Charles Oliveira is ready to find out. As for me, I agree with Dubronx. He's the real champ. He's the people's champ. He's the champ in perpetuity. And I think Islam's days on top are numbered. We saw in the Alexander Volkanovsky fight that Islam Makachev is no Khabib Nurmagomedov. And Oliveira is going to show the world that Charles Dubronx Oliveira is the best lightweight fighter in North America in MMA. When he takes his crown very soon. You could take that to the bookie's desk. And then we have the main event. Irene Aldana versus Amanda Nunez. I don't have much to say about this main event. I don't have much to say about this card in general, but especially about this main event. You know, I'd heard a couple weeks ago that Amanda was retiring after this fight. So, of course, I picked Irene Aldana to win the fight by TKO in the second. It was a smart bet. I put it on my show weeks ago just to make sure I was the one who got to say I was the first one. I called it. I even called the round. You know. Aldana had everything going in her favor. She had all the tools to finish the GOAT. She was bigger than her. She was stronger than her. She was younger than her. She had more technique than her. But you can't win a fight if you don't fight. Aldana's coach, Francisco Grasso, must have been losing his mind in that corner. It looked like it. I saw him. He looked like he was losing his mind. Aldana's strategy, and this is not the strategy she came up with her coach, Francisco Grasso, I guarantee you that. Aldana's strategy was to cover up the top of her head and then walk into striking range and then get struck 
and not strike back. That is probably the worst strategy in the history of MMA, bar none. And Francisco Grasso, to his credit, he's the uncle of flyweight champ Alex Grasso, so you know he could get it done for fighters. He was trying his best to motivate his fighter to no avail. And I really feel like the translator didn't do him justice in between rounds, you know. In the fourth, his commands were translated, like the translator kind of said it like this. You have to fight. Think about winning. You could win. And what Francisco was actually saying was, Estás perdiendo. Tienes que parar. Piensa es tu madre. Piensa en tu equipo. Piensa en México. Puedes ganar, pero tienes que luchar a Rini. Spent a little time living uh, on the Mexican border, so picked up a little bit. Anyways, pretty sure what that translates to is you're losing. You have to fight. Think of your mother. Think of your team. Think of Mexico. You could win, but you must fight, Irene. He recognizes the gravity of the situation. He didn't think this is something that would favor her in the decision, but sometimes people get to the brightest lights and, and it's too much for them. And she didn't fight. And on top of it, the worst part is not Irene's performance. The worst part is Amanda still couldn't get the finish. You know, people were talking about how good Amanda looked, and she looked terrible. She looked awful. If this was the Amanda of like even two years ago, the one who fought Amanda, uh, Megan Anderson, Nunez would have crushed Aldana in the first three minutes of the fight. And that's what's most disappointing. Mexico should have four champions right now. And instead, Aldana blew her only chance to win the 135 title ever. Very disappointing. And I say that out of love for Mexico and Mexican fighters. You know, overall, there wasn't a lot to celebrate. The card had a 36% finish rate. Four finishes. Five if you count the clash of heads, which I would be inclined to do because that was a good fight up until that point. So... Not 36% if you count the Curtis fight, uh, 45%. It is what it is. It's pretty common for a UFC fight, a little bit below what's common. Some good fights on there, but $80. I mean, you tell me if it's worth it for you. You know, but tonight's not about the $80 or it's even about Irene Aldana. You know, it's about the second best North American fighter in the world behind John Jones. And that's Amanda Nunez. Not like the second best female fighter. She's like the second best fighter in the world if we're talking about accomplishments. You know, and before you start clickety-clacking over there, I'll, t- I'll remind you, Amanda has done things that no one else in MMA, man or woman, has ever come close to doing. She held and defended two titles simultaneously for years. Just look at who she had to beat to get those two titles. She beat Cyborg, the best women's 145 in the world. She beat all of the best 135ers at the time. She beat Misha Tate. She beat Holly Holm. She beat Valentina Shevchenko twice. And she beat Ronda Rousey when Ronda Rousey was the best bantamweight in the world at the time. You got to remember, if you're a noob, you have no idea. But when Amanda Nunez took Ronda Rousey's title, Ronda Rousey was the best bantamweight in the world. She was the only bantamweight champion in the world at that point. She had crushed all of her competition. It was fairly common for 
Ronda Rousey to armbar her opponent in the first two, two and a half minutes of the fight. I saw one of her fights against Kat Zingano, and she armbarred her a minute into the fight, maybe. And Amanda Nunez made it look easy. She went in there and took her part on the feet. She's an accomplished woman. She's an impressive woman. She's the first openly gay UFC champion. That's got to be worth something. Her her wife is a UFC fighter who's accomplished in her own right. We've watched her raise her daughter as she's won two titles and defended them. The only person who beat her as a champion, she went back and and beat decisively. You know, to my knowledge, she's the only UFC fighter who's ever had a million dollars bet in her favor, you know, legitimately bet. I'm not talking about promotionally bet by Drake. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of great male fighters out there, but to me, it's John Jones, Amanda Nunez, if we're talking about accomplishment. And then behind her, you probably have someone like an Anderson Silva or George St. Pierre. You know, Anderson Silva's win streak, the way he was crushing people. It's pretty impressive. George St. Pierre, the same way he avenged both of his losses. That's pretty impressive. But people like, now remember, before you start clickety-clacking there, I'm talking about accomplishments. Champion accomplishments. You can't put Mighty Mouse in there. He only fought in his own division. He only fought guys who were 125ers. Never went up. He had the opportunity. Went up. Didn't do it. As much as I love Mighty Mouse. Same with Khabib. Khabib retired way too soon. He only really fought guys who were weak against wrestlers. You know, we never saw him against Tony Ferguson in his prime. We never saw him against someone who had legitimate wrestling. They were all kickboxers and stuff. He never fought Camaro, I think, for obvious reasons. So you can't put him in that that list. Who else you got? Israel Adesanya, Kamaru Usman, Jose Aldo? Who's got more accomplishes? Excluding the greatest pound-for-pound fighter of all time, John Jones, who has more accomplishes accomplishments than Amanda Nunez? And I'll answer that question for you. Nobody does. So what we saw, even though this was a terrible card with not a lot of finishes and not a lot of excitement, was the second greatest fighter the second most accomplished fighter of all time, hanging up in her prime after a one-sided finish. And that's worth something. Now, for me, I'm extremely happy for Amanda. You know, not enough fighters do this. They don't. They hang it up way too late. We've got plenty of examples of that. And it's like, you talk about a fighter who has everything. I mean, you know. She has everything. She, she's she got the wins. She's got the gym. She's got the money. Good for you, you know. She's got the hot girlfriend. You know. She's having another baby with her wife. And she has the hot young girlfriend she could roll around in the uh, mat with. And Maggie Grindaddy. Yeah, that's like Cyborg Abreu's ex and multi-time BJJ world champion. Yeah. I swear, they're the those three are the greatest thruple of all time. Can you like imagine the unfortunate soul who breaks into the the shared house of this thruple of Amanda Nunez, Nina Nunez, and Maggie Grindaddy? You know, like you go, you break into the house. They just put baby uh, Regan to bed, and they hear a noise, and they come into the kitchen, and you're standing there with your uh, with your burglary tools. You know. You would get your ass beat, but you'd be very aroused.
I'm still disappointed we didn't get the Kayla Harrison fight. I think we could have made that happen. The timing was all screwed up. You know, we were very close to having that fight happen, but I think it's gone now. But that's my only real regret with her career. She had, she fought all the fights you would have wanted to see her fight besides Kayla Harrison. So a gay icon, the first openly gay um, UFC champion, definitely without a doubt, without a question, the greatest female fighter of all time. For going on accomplishments, the second best fighter in UFC history as far as accomplishments go, top five overall fighter overall, and just someone who had an amazing career and went out on top. Amanda Nunez, over here at the one, all the one percenters, salute you for your amazing career and wish you the best of luck in retirement with your lovely wife, Nina, and your hot girlfriend, Maggie. But all that being said, now that Amanda is riding off into the sunset, and I think she is riding off into the sunset. I don't think anything's bringing her back. You know, I think her focus is going to be on family. You know, she's got money. She could. She has a lot of opportunities. I don't think we're going to see her crawling back here after a year or two like Cejudo. I think she's done with fighting. Um, I don't think you'll ever see her compete in combat sports again. So that begs the question, what's next for this division for 135 and for that matter, 145? You know, all the rumblings I hear is that 145 is going away. That's a stupid, stupid move if they get rid of 145. We don't have enough belts in this organization to begin with. Why get rid of one that holds so much promise? You know, you got a bunch of like 145 pound women, a bunch of giant Amazons. You just got to you just got to you just got to develop that division. There's people out there. There's fighters female fighters that are 145 pounds that are currently fighting professionally. We just need to fight them and develop that division. It's hard to get that division going when Amanda's at the top of it. You know, it's hard for a new fighter who just gets into the UFC to fight Amanda Nunez for the title. So that division needs to be developed, but that's on the back burner. What, what we need to focus on is the 135 women's division, the bantamweight division, the division that Maybe not recently, but for a long time was the marquee division of the UFC. You know, I know uh, 115 gets all the shine now, but there was a time where 135 was the biggest division. And that was when Ronda Rousey was at the top of that division. And there's some good fighters in this division now. Don't get me wrong. You know, Juliana Pena was barking at this uh, event you know, at UFC 289 and screaming at Amanda from the from the crowd. And there's a bunch of headlines here. Juliana Pena, don't compare yourself to Anderson Silva. Ex-champ rants during Amanda Nunez's retirement speech. Amanda Nunez dead to me after UFC retirement. Rival Juliana Pena. Juliana Pena declares herself women's MMA GOAT. Says featherweight is a fake division. And it goes on and on. You know, she's uh, she's trying to promote herself. She's trying to sell a fight. And the reason she's doing that is because there's not a lot of other fights out there. That's why Juliana Pena, she hasn't lost her mind. She's just trying to promote herself and trying to make a fight happen, trying to get people excited about 135 now that the boogeyman, boogie person, is gone. And that's why she's doing all this. It's a smart move. It's the move that if I was her manager, I'd recommend. I'd say, hey, go out there, chirp, get people 
get people paying attention, like you or hate you, they're paying attention. That's all that matters. Whether they want to pay to see you win or they want to pay to see you lose, they want to pay, and that's what's important. But the question is who who is going to be involved in in these fights that are going to make the storylines for the coming years for the bantamweight division. You know, Juliana Pena having uh, been one of the only people to defeat the former champ, Amanda Nunez, you know, obviously she's at the top of that division. She's ranked number one and rightfully so, even if, you know, it was a pretty one decided rematch between her and Amanda Uh, Raquel Pennington's ranked number two. You know, we saw Raquel Pennington fight Amanda Nunez for the title. That fight was very one sided. Um, extremely one-sided. And then after that, you have Holly Holm, Catlin Vieira, Irene Aldana, Yana Santos, and it goes on and on. And then at number 11, we have Misha Tate. So I would say out of this, probably what the UFC will do is have Juliana Pena fight Raquel Pennington. That's the rumors anyway. That's, that's what's being talked about. But I would say as far as stars in this division, the only real like certified celebrities are Holly Holm and Misha Tate. And, you know, those are two fighters that have been around for a long time. I think if either of those fighters, you know, Holly Holm's probably the one who's most likely to get into that position, that if either one um, comes close to getting a streak together, they're going to throw the UFC is going to throw a title shot at them right away because they're the only real stars in this division. You know, is anybody paying money to see uh, Penny Kianzad fight or Yana Santos? I don't think so. But Holly Holm or Misha Tate, they could headline uh, pay-per-view, you know. Misha Tate headlined UFC 200, the most important pay-per-view in the UFC's history. So believe me, um, believe me, she could headline a pay-per-view. But the question is, who are you going to put her up against? You know, even though Amanda Nunez was the most dominant uh, female athlete in the UFC's history, she wasn't a big pay-per-view sale. So, you know, she never she never brought in a lot of numbers. A lot of times they'd have her alongside, you know, like a John Jones or or another uh, big name fighter, you know, have her co-headline. So the question is, who's that fighter that's going to co-headline with a Holly Holm or a Misha Tate or a Juliana Pena or a Raquel Pennington? And I can tell you, and it should seem obvious to you at this point, if you've been following me for any amount of time, if you've been listening to what I've been saying, the person that I'm about to say, you should already have it on the tip of your tongue. You should know what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say is that the person who's going to be headlining these pay-per-views in the next year, like 12 months from now, is Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey's coming back to the UFC, and she's going to be fighting the likes of, ideally, a Holly Holm or a Misha Tate. And worst case scenario, she'll be fighting the likes of a Juliana Pena or a Raquel Pennington. It's happening. There's no way it wouldn't be happening. If you don't think it's happening, you're just in denial. Just like people who don't think that Brock Lesnar is fighting Francis Ngannou next year. The only reason you would think that that's not happening is because you're in denial. Now, when I broke the news a while ago that Brock Lesnar was going to fight Francis Ngannou in the PFL, one of the things I outlined is that it's, of course, going to happen because of some simple factors. Contract. Brock Lesnar's five-year contract, which is standard form for the WWE, is ending very soon, if it hasn't already. 
So some out there in the media space are saying it has already ended. Likewise, Ronda Rousey's five-year contract is about to end if it hasn't already ended. So there you go. Both of them are free agents. And I have to point out that the contracts in the WWE are much less restrictive than the ones in the UFC. That might change. That might change in the near future now that there's the merger has taken place. But for the time being, there's no sunset clause. There's no restrictive. That's why people like to go to the WWE because they could go there. They could wrestle and do that for five years. And then they're free to go continue on with their career. That's what's happening with Ronda Rousey right now. You know, the other thing is that Ronda Rousey, her career in the WWE didn't turn out the way that I imagine she thought it would. You know, when she first got in there, there's a lot of fanfare. And if I get any of these details wrong, I'm not a WWE wrestling podcaster. So if I get something wrong, just put it, you know, get your little feelings out in the comments, whatever. I probably won't read it, but save it for there. My understanding is that when she got to the WWE, she was pushed very hard that she won some titles. I think she did like headlined WrestleMania with Kurt Angle or something. But lately the fans have kind of turned on her. Um, it's also my understanding that uh, around the time of WrestleMania, she had been out for like six months. So I don't know if that's uh, injury. I would imagine it is injury because she's a big star for them. And, you know, the WWE for for everything that it is, you know, it's very hard on these athletes. You know, they don't have an off season. They're, they're, some of them are performing once or twice a week. Some of them are performing more. You know, they do more shows than just the ones that are televised, as I understand it. So, uh, you know, I'm sure this has been very hard on her body. And, uh, you know, MMA is hard on your body. But, um, you know, at least you get some breaks in there. So that's another thing, you know, she had been, she had been out. She hadn't even been in the spotlight in WWE. Who knows how her contract works? Maybe there's some kind of provision there where she doesn't get paid as much if she's on injury or she's not competing. But the last, the last point to know, the last important thing to know is that the fans hate her. The WWE fans hate her, you know? And, and I think, I think it's starting to get reflected in the uh, in the content that the WWE is putting on, I've got a news article here that says WWE rumors. Let's see, this is from Bleacher Report, so this isn't from Wrestling Pro Informer, my mom's basement. I also listen to the one podcast dot com. It's Bleacher, so th uh, they say WWE rumors: Ronda Rousey, Shayna Baszler push creative to have heated rivalry. It's not a good sign if you're in the WWE and you're going public that you're trying to influence your employer to make some kind of one kind of storyline or another. That means things aren't going good. That means you that Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler think that they're not being adequately utilized in the WWE. You got to remember that, you know, for newer fans of the UFC, they might not realize, but Ronda Rousey was almost as big of a star as Conor McGregor in her, in her heyday of the, of the UFC. She was a bonafide superstar. She was changing the game. You know, Conor McGregor made the explosion of the UFC possible, but so did Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar to, to lesser degrees. And she was a superstar. You know, she had pay-per-views built around her. Um, you know, a lot of the reason that the women who fight in the UFC now 
first got involved in the UFC was Ronda Rousey. She was very inspiring for uh, aspiring female fighters. You know, uh, Dana White at one point said women will never fight in the UFC. And the reason he changed his mind was Ronda Rousey. She was a superstar. And it doesn't seem like she's a superstar in the WWE based on based on these news reports. But I do feel that if she came back to the UFC, she would be a super she'd be treated like a superstar again. And you'd be able to you'd be able to build some pretty compelling pay-per-views around her. You know, I, I think that that people think that Rhonda it's just done with MMA, but she's not, you know, she did an interview two years ago saying that she would come back to the UFC for the right opponent. And that was before she was out sitting on the shelf in the WWE for six months with an injury. And before she was having all these creative differences with, with the WWE. Think about it. Those names that I mentioned, you know, the, the, the people who the UFC is most likely to build a pay-per-view around in the 135 division, Holly Holm, Misha Tate. Those were former rivals of Ronda Rousey. You know, this stuff writes itself. Even Raquel Pennington and Juliana Pena, they were, you know, they were around in the UFC around the same time as Ronda Rousey. It's not like that someone at the top of this list is like a young lion who's coming to take out all these older uh, competitors. Like, Ronda could still get in there and be very competitive. She could win. She could be a UFC champion. So why wouldn't she be? There's no reason she wouldn't be. She is going to be. She's coming back to the UFC. I imagine you'll probably get an announcement on this within the next six months. There'll be an official announcement that she's coming back to the UFC, that she's going to be fighting for a title probably right off the bat. If she's not fighting for a title right off the bat, she'll probably um, most likely fight Misha Tate. And then the winner of that will get a title shot, I would imagine. So that's one you could take to the bank. You heard that here first. You know, you don't got to give me credit for it now. Just make sure you give me credit for it when it happens. Six months from now, we get the announcement. 12 months from now, she's fighting for a title. And I just want to include in there that just so it's on the record, so we got some receipts, as the kids say. The person that that uh, Ronda Rousey fights in her first fight back or her second fight back may be Gina Carano. When she did that interview two years ago, it was talking about fighting. Uh, she would come back to the UFC to fight Gina Carano or come back to MMA to fight Gina Carano. And why not? Like, what? What's Gina Carano doing now that she couldn't get in there and fight? She looks like she's in great shape. I mean, is, is she too busy making alt-right cowboy movies with Donald Cerrone that goes straight to streaming on BuzzFeed.com to go back and make a ton of money in the UFC? Or how about a ton of money in another organization? Is that captivating? Does that get your attention? Is there an organization out there who's looking to to put on fights that gets people's attention, that's trying to grow in this space. It definitely seems like it's possible that Ronda Rousey could fight someone like Gina Carano in the PFL and that we could even have, you know, a string of pay-per-views where, where Brock Lesnar fights Francis Ngannou on PFL pay-per-view. And then the very next PFL pay-per-view, Ronda Rousey fights Gina Carano. 
And I can see all that happening within the next year or so. There's a lot of, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up for the PFL. And, uh, you know, you could, you could either accept that as fact, or you could, you could deny it. You know, for me, I, I see this stuff as happening very soon. You know, speaking of Francis, what did I tell you haters? And if you, if you agree with me, please disregard my animosity. You know, I know that most of, most of you listening out there, you're smart. You're, you're, you're the real fans. You really know what's going on. You're not like these near-do-wells, Johnny-come-latelys. So I'm not talking to you. But for all the people who, who uh, you know, said that this wasn't happening, that, you know, Francis had screwed up, that, uh, you know, he, he, had, he had made a bad choice. How much longer are you going to keep doing this, you know? So first, Francis wasn't going to get an MMA deal. That's what everybody said. He's not going to get an MMA deal. It's going to backfire on him. He should just go back to the UFC. Well, he gets the single greatest non-UFC contract ever. And immediately, like the, the very next day, the story pivots. There's no one to Francis, for Francis to fight. He screwed up. I break the news that he's fighting Brock Lesnar. And immediately after that news is broken, the story becomes, well, maybe he'll get a big MMA fight, but he's not going to get that big boxing payday. Now, I told you on the last episode, go back and listen, you plebs. Francis is getting a big boxing match in 2024. Deontay Wilder's at the PFL, the organization Francis fights in, and he's saying he wants to box Francis. Could this be any more clear? This is happening. Is there any part of this that isn't amenable? Francis wants to box in a big boxing match with a big boxing star. Deontay Wilder is at the organization that Francis just signed to saying he will box Francis. Is there any obstacle to this? I mean, sure, there's a possibility, but it's slim. This is happening. Deontay Wilder is boxing Francis Ngannou. It's going to be promoted by the PFL with co-promotion help from Jake Paul and MVP Productions. And then Deontay Wilder's team is going to do uh, a part of the promotion as well. It's happening. It's happening in 2024. You're not going to have to wait that long. And then in 2025, Francis Ngannou is fighting Brock Lesnar. This is also happening. It's happening in the PFL. It's going to be on pay-per-view. Most likely, it's going to go very well. In the meantime, in between now and when, when Francis fights Brock in PFL pay-per-view, a bunch of heavyweights are going to become free agents. There's going to be a bunch of heavyweights in the UFC, a bunch of heavyweights in other organizations, possibly even one and some other organizations, BKFC possibly, that are going to fight out their con uh, contracts because they're going to see that they could go over to the PFL, they could compete in the heavyweight Grand Prix, the heavyweight tournament of the PFL. They could win a million dollars for that. And winning that is really like living, winning two contests in one. You win the million dollars for winning the tournament, and then you're guaranteed the fight with Francis Ngannou, where you're guaranteed $2 million. So for winning that tournament, you win $3 million. What heavyweight in the world who's not locked into a contract is not going to do that. 
And on top of that, you're fighting on a pay-per-view with Francis Ngannou or Brock Lesnar, one of the two, who just had one of the biggest pay-per-views of all time. Is there someone in the UFC who that's not more appealing to than fighting the, the toughest guys in the world for like 50 and 50? There's going to be a lot of people leaving the, w, the UFC and other organizations to come compete in the 2026 PFL heavyweight tournament. You know, this is going to be the biggest, biggest heavyweight tournament since Pride, or at the very least since the Strikeforce Grand Prix. If you don't know what the Strikeforce Grand Prix is, do yourself a favor and go look it up. If you don't know what Pride is, definitely do yourself a big favor and go and look it up. You know, and speaking of Strikeforce, I just have to put this out here. I don't normally do this in my in my podcast, but I got to put this out there. I don't really talk about what the nerds are talking about online, but Scott Coker this weekend, he announced that the sale of Bellator to the PF, PFL is all but a done deal following the PFL securing funding from the Middle East. Now, that's not the way that Scott Coker said it. He said, you know, they're in the mix. But if you're aware of how the business world works, how promotion works, you don't make a statement like that unless it's almost a done deal. That's a way of saying like, hey, we're in the final stages. The the contracts haven't been signed yet, but this is going to happen. PFL is buying Bellator. Here's your, here's your heads up so you can start getting excited about it. And I just have to say, you know, a lot of people were negative on this idea, but I just have to say thank you, Todd Atkins of the Todd Atkins MMA show. Link in the description if you want to listen. I highly recommend. Excellent stuff. Very good insider information. Probably some of the best insider information in all of MMA media. He was the first one to report this, you know, and he was 100% right. People hated on him. You know, other people would would uh, would uh, reproduce his story and not credit him. But I told him when he broke this story, I went on his page and, uh, you know, I said, I said, Todd, you know, people are people are saying wild stuff now, but there's a chance that or there's a time where we're definitely going to be able to look back on this and, and celebrate you being the one who broke this. So just want to put that out there, use my platform to kind of uh put that out my limited platform being what it is and say you know todd atkins from the todd atkins mma show also does the mma conspiracy hour and has contributed to the uh, lights out podcast that dude was the first one to promote this it was months ago nobody gave him credit then but they're going to be giving him credit soon or they should because he was the one who reported it and he was right ignore these haters we're going to celebrate that victory anyways Point is, PFL is going to bring in all of its heavyweights and big light, even big light heavyweights, along with all the heavies and light heavies who fight out their contracts in the UFC and won to make the greatest heavyweight tournament ever. And, uh, you know, on top of that, all the heavyweights and all the big light heavyweights from Bellator are going to be fighting in this tournament, too. Uh, we've got a uh, Bellator card coming up this weekend uh, with some big heavyweight names on it, you know. And we've got, you know, Ryan Bader, Nemkov, and uh, Yoel Romero. If those guys are still around in two years, they're going to be fighting in this tournament too. There's going to be a lot of big names in this PFL heavyweight tournament that the prize is going to be uh, $3 million essentially. So get excited for that, you know. I, 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 I just want to put it out there so that we could get excited for it because this is happening. And you could either get on board 
or get out of the way because this stuff is happening. As much as people in the media want to piss on Francis and say, oh, he screwed up, he didn't screw up. He executed his game plan perfectly, and that intimidates people. But you shouldn't be intimidated. You should be happy for the man, and you should be excited about all of this great MMA action that's going to be coming up in the in the next couple of years. And, you know, you can trust me. I haven't been wrong yet. All you need to do is shut up and believe me. Oh, and of course, one other thing you could do, hit that like and subscribe button. Help me grow this podcast. If you're listening on audio only, go ahead and uh, give the, especially if you're on Apple, on Apple podcasts, give me a five-star review. Um, put some comments in about how, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the mystic of MMA and I, I just make all these correct predictions that end up coming true and you just love my my catty little style. Or if you hate the podcast, go ahead and go on YouTube and say, I hate this guy. I don't get why he's wearing sunglasses right now. His voice annoys me. I'm pretty sure he's from the Midwest and he sounds very nasally. That helps me too, you know, uh, uh, negative comments where you talk about how much you hate me and how you wish you had my my bone structure. That helps me too, you know. The thing is here, we're trying to grow this thing together. You know, me and the fellow one percenters, we want to make this be one of the biggest, if not the biggest MMA podcasts of all time. And the only way we could do that is with you all coming together, hitting that like and subscribe, commenting, growing this thing exponentially. And then you'll be able to say, hey, I was there at the very beginning when this thing was just a humble podcast. I was in the first hundred, first thousand, first 10,000 subscribers. And now it's a historic podcast. I've got a lot more content coming out. This is just the beginning of a, a slew of, uh, of content that I got coming out. So stay close, keep that bell rung, and I'll be checking back in with you 1% or soon. Until then, thank you for listening to The One.